This is a Lip Media Podcast. Deviant women, 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 deviant women. Hello and welcome to Deviant Women, the podcast where we talk to you about deviant women from history, mythology, literature, and contemporaneity. My name is Lauren. I'm Alicia. And welcome to the show as always. Guess what? What? We're actually going to do some mythology this time. I know. We haven't done mythology probably all season actually. We haven't. We haven't done any mythology. We've basically just been doing biographies all season four. Oh, look, it's, that's not that it's the easy stuff. It's just like... It's very tempting because real stories are, <laughs> I don't know, there's something about them. Yeah, it's the some, realness of it maybe. <laughs> there's, something about, there's something about mythology as well though. Like that's literally the reason why we include mythology <laughs> in. The whole thing about this podcast I think is thinking about like not just where real women or how real women have acted out and transgressed and challenged the mm. sort of structured ideas of the femininity that have hung around our necks all of these many, many centuries. <laughs> like a shackle. <laughs> but to think about the fact that, you know, history, as we have mentioned many times, history is a f- version of mythology. History is a kind of mythology mm. in the mm. sense that mm-hmm. history is told down from from usually a perspective that maybe distorts and it's retold and it's redistorted and it's retold and it's redistorted and, and we get these kind of versions of history. And yeah. the fact that so much of particularly where we've come from has been structured by the kinds of stories that we tell. You know, it's really funny. My boss is from the sciences. He's a marine biologist. His background is in like environmental science and we had a meeting randomly the other day. It was a very casual, we were just having tea in the morning. And he was talking about the fact that not very long ago he'd had this epiphany about the fact that everything in the world is a story. And mm. I was, and I was mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like, mm, having, yes, it is. Having, sp- having spent my life in the humanities, yes. It's funny yes, that, it isn't is. it? And, but the yeah. thing is, it is. Like everything the way that we make meaning of ourselves in the world mm-hmm. and so much of what shapes who we are is from stories, stories of yeah. history and the kinds of stories that come to us through, you know, the cultural narratives that we retell and retell and retell. Absolutely. And and narratology is such an interesting area to look at for that exact reason myth and legend and fairy tale and folklore all those sorts of things are so fascinating to look at because of what they tell us about historical contexts and the woman that we're going to be looking at today the the mythological realm in which we're going to be going to is going to be one that I'm sure a lot of our listeners have heard of before Mm. and it's Baba Yaga. Baba now, Yaga. she has been on the list since day dot. Literally. Well. Like, so you know that for me, 
We, well, many of our listeners will know that for me, it's like the Victorian, the spiritualists and the witches. And I don't know that you have made quite as much of a thing, but this is your <laughs> thesis. Like this is your specialty yeah. area. This is your thing. That's right. Yeah. So I'm going back to my PhD research for this one today. And I'm going back to the realm of folklore, essentially, which is what my area of expertise, I I suppose I would say, is very much in this realm of folkloric women Mm. and how femininity plays out in these stories of myth and legend and fairy tale. And it it fascinates me because the historical context of these stories always tell us something different about the people of the time and about I'm like, I'm pointing at you through the screen because, yes, this is the (laughs) thing. Like these these stories, they tell us more about who is telling the story or who is retelling mm. the story than the yep. stories themselves tell us. Yeah. Right? And this is it. Yeah, they refer back to the societies that tell us the stories, mm. the way they get shaped and changed because, you know, you're talking about history. We reshape it. We rechange it every time it gets retold. Yeah. And we tell it again to suit our current context. Absolutely. And the stories that we've told in Deviant Women up until now, you know, even though a lot of these are biographies of real live women and those biographies won't necessarily change in the facts of the Mm. biographies, the way that they're interpreted and the context that they're used will probably be different to the context that we talk about now, you know, in another 50 years. And the way that people tell them, yeah, exactly. In the future, people will tell those stories from a different perspective again. Yeah. Yeah. So this is where Baba Yaga fits into that kind of idea of thinking about how these stories change and what they tell us about. And she's got a very long and complex history. Yeah. And she's also specifically, we're not just talking about femininity, we're talking about like motherhood here and like the crone, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So we're talking about, well, so that's interesting. So she does function in a lot of different ways and she does have roots in a very sort of earth mother kind of context. But the way that she is remembered now and the way that she's used now is in that crone guise. Mm -hmm. So we talk a lot about, obviously, because this connects back to talking about witches and to talking about female archetypes, we talk a lot about this sort of trinity of female archetypes, the maiden, the mother and the crone and the way that they sort of shape these concepts of femininity. And so for us today, Baba Yaga, she comes in many very different guises, but she is that archetypal crone, yeah. right? She's the old, long-fingered, long-nosed, warty old woman that you think of when you think crone. Like yeah. on a surface level, I mean, like this is our first imagery that we're thinking of when we think of somebody like Baba Yaga. Yeah, definitely. She's the hag, yeah, right? And hag is a word to- that we need to – I know that there's already some reclamation of the word hag, but th- yes. that's a word that I really want to own. Yeah, By and we've way. talked about this before. Like, essentially, <laughs> I aspire to hagdom. Yeah, essentially, Bubba Yaga <laughs> is hag goals. That's yes. what she is. Hag you know? goals. Hashtag hag goals. <laughs> Hashtag hag goals for Bubba Yaga. So, as I said, we're going to mythological time and we're going sort of specifically with Bubba Yaga, we're going to Russia. But yeah. she's not exclusively, of course, a Russian figure, we should point out. And she appears across, you know, basically most of Eastern Europe the Ukraine, Belarus, Macedonia, Bulgaria, Montenegro, Serbia, so like all of these sorts of regions with very sort of traditionally Slavic Mm. sort of roots, you'll find versions of Baba Yaga's story. And actually just the other night we were having dinner with some Polish friends and I just happened to say, I was like, oh, 
was Baba Yaga ever a thing when you were growing up? And she was like, oh, my God, yes. It was always like behave, otherwise Baba Yaga is going to come and eat you. And I was like, all right, just Great. checking, just checking and making sure. So in this sense as well, like in our La Llorona episode from last season, she appears as a boogie woman too that mm. you can kind of use to scare children. And this is what feeds into making her as well, that sort of archetypal fairy tale witch. Yeah. So as you said, that hooked nose, that haggard, wrinkled skin, that long bedraggled hair. Goals. In some <laughs> so good. In some versions of her story, her breasts are so saggy and long that she hangs them up uh-huh. over the rafters. Like <laughs> Just, you know, just this epitome of that bodily hag. Yeah, which we should also mention is like drenched in misogyny. Like that idea of because the maiden is like the epitome, right? Like she's what Mm. you aspire to because she's young and she's beautiful and she's what men project all of their like kind of sexual fantasies onto. And then, and then of course, once you get the maiden, you turn her into the mother and, and she's still desirable because she is fertile and because she's nurturing and because Mm -hmm. she's giving and she's, you know, but then women hit menopause and they're, well, what use are they to you now? Because they're no longer like sexually desirable. They're no longer the maiden. They're no longer Mm. beautiful and virginal and supple and soft and young and fresh. They're no longer the mother who is nurturing you and your children and and giving you this progeny that's going to give you more immortality through your line, I guess, Mm, is what mm. I'm trying to say. Instead, she's just this unfuckable old beastly woman who is so ugly that her tits hang down so far that she bloody throws them over her shoulders. Like, it's the most awful kind of (laughs) ageist misogyny. It's so fucking ageist. But I think this is why we need to reclaim her because at the same time in that dismissal there is a kind of power because there's this mm, this mm-hmm. and we I'm sure you're going to get into this but because we keep talking about her being so horrifically like ugly and haggish but like to know that we are talking about this with a kind of admiration for the power that can be held in that yes. space mm-hmm. yep. of you know what you don't actually have to give a fuck anymore yeah yep you know you don't belong to anybody else Yeah, and because the characters that we come across time and time again, the beautiful young women, they're always restricted in some way in their stories. And it's their youth and beauty that restricts them, you know. They're stuck in these sorts of they have expectations of who they should be and what they should be doing. And whereas, yes, when you have this sort of haggish old crone, that's the expectation. She can do whatever the fuck she yes. wants now, <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. And there's a terrific phrase in one of the key – look, again, this is a lot of research from my PhD that I'm referring to and one of the great books about Baba Yaga that you can find out there is one that's a collection of stories and it's got an introduction and a translation by Sibylan Forrester and it's called Baba Yaga, the Wild Witch of the East in Russian Fairy Tales. And there's this terrific phrase that's used in there – about her as that her bodily features are the grotesque aftermath of female fertility, right? That's exactly how she's referred to. So it's this evocative kind of idea, as you were saying, and an incredibly offensive one as well, that, you know, once this kind of female fecundity starts to degenerate and it becomes this depraved, corrupt, leaky, 
abject yes, of the female body because there's like the, and this is the binary of the female body it's, mm, it's mm-hmm. like it's so beautiful and it's capable of all of these wonderful things as it's you know magic and it's you know allurement and its ability to create life but then <laughs> after yeah. it's done that there's blood and there's like they're you know, leaking they, they, yeah they leak and they bleed and they shrivel up and it's yeah. all that is just the most awful abject Yes, yeah. and, and we kind yeah. of touched on this a little bit in our Patreon episode about Mary of yes, Egypt we did. as yeah. well. So yeah. if anyone would yeah. like to carry on this idea, you can find it over there. Yeah, and I, and I also I think in relation to that as well, it's worth noting that sort of like, you know, wizened old men don't get this sort of same kind of treatment. No, they don't leak. They don't leak. Like <laughs> aging womanhood is just portrayed as so essentially horrifying yeah. that the hag is this sort of inevitable thing yeah and that sort of youth and beauty and in a very feminine and binary sense you know it decays into that sort of slobbering yeah. hideousness and as you said like when it served its purpose as this supple and productive and fertile thing then it becomes abhorrent and yeah. abject yeah and of course that's not how we really feel about no of course not bodies. no oh my but god it's, no <laughs> but it's the point that this is what the cultural representations yes. tell us about that's how still and that still means that women when they hit a certain age become fucking invisible in this world yes exactly they're either they're completely invisible and devalued through that invisibility or they're demonized for that sort of what's seen as that decaying yeah and that corruption because they age. And this is the double bind that we find ourselves in. You know, we as women, we're told it's so important to be beautiful and young all the time. But that's nature is it's impossible. <laughs> we're all aging all the time. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing we can do to stop that. And unfortunately, we don't get to become George Clooney's. That's it. Well, men's bodies, you know, they don't get devalued in the same way as they age. They seem to be more potent in their sort of their symbolism. They seem to be, yeah, exactly, or sophisticated. You know, like it's like you said, George Clooney, it's like you become that sophisticated older man. Yeah, yeah. You know, who's very, very fuckable to the younger ladies. (laughs) Like, blurg, gross. (laughs) So, yeah, anyway. Look, this is a huge okay. part. We haven't even we no, haven't, we haven't even even started t- to talk no, about but Baba this Yaga's is important story. contextual scene setting. Yes. Yeah. And also this is kind of like you said, this is also why I try very hard to kind of embrace my aging body mm. in a lot of ways. Because uh, I mean, you know, like I we were saying this with some friends recently. We kind of had this realization that we were like legitimately middle aged now. Mm. It's like, oh, I'm legitimately middle aged. There you go. Yeah. But what enormous fucking power there is in that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for Baba Yaga, more power to her, right? And yeah. this is why these stories of her we find often spend a lot of time describing her physicality, right? Yeah. Often the heroine is described as or the hero is often described as golden-haired and beautiful or fair and handsome or whatever. Yeah. And that's the end. Like, insert standard concept here. Yeah. <laughs> but Baba Yaga is drawn out and we get this she picture continues. of her. And we these stories spend time describing us to her. And often we know just how she looks and she appears in so many different guises. But also part of her haggishness, often she will have 
teeth that she's sharpened to points. Oh. This is another one of her sort of fantastic features. She will have that classic hooked witchy nose. Yeah. She has long bedraggled matted grey hair and, as we said, that sagging, drooping Everything on her is just all wrinkles and sags. You yeah. Know? And this is how she's described to us. So we get so much more time with her bodily than yeah. we get with any any other characters. So I'll tell you a story. Tell us a so story. So we have some context about her and we'll then keep deconstructing her a little bit once we've yep. sort of weaved in one of her stories. But because we're also talking about the historical context of stories, it's probably a good idea to think a little bit more about the hus- historical context of how her stories have come to be written down. Because the story I'm going to tell, I've only picked one story to share with mm. us today because there are literally hundreds yep. <laughs> of stories, Baba Yaga stories, so, so, so many. And the story that I'm going to tell, I'm sure some people will know her and they'll be like, that's not right. You're not telling that story right. Well, I'm just telling one version, yep. of one conglomerate version of many, many stories. And the reason why so many different stories about her exist is because of her incredibly long and complicated history. And she begins to sort of appear as the kind of more defined Baba Yaga witch character that we've been talking about, more documented in stories around the 18th century and into the 19th century. And sort of what that means is that by her sort of murky mix of origins, which I'll talk a little bit more about as we go along, there isn't really a definitive way to pin her down, right? But she's become a much more recognisable character because of these certain features and particular stories that keep getting told about her. You know, as with any sort of legend or fairy tale or folk tale or whatever, there are so many different versions. But in the 18th and 19th century, this is when fairy tales and folklore in a lot of different parts of the world were starting to be recorded Mm. in much more definitive ways. And, of course, they were stories that had existed as oral stories for centuries, the kind of stories that people would tell at the end of the day when they sat around the fire, you know, the kind of stories that you can imagine people sitting in their cottages, the peasants passing on these stories, which is, of course, why so many of them exist. And even though, you know, Disney or Brothers Groom or whoever might try to present their version of a story as the definitive version, there's essentially no such thing. And certainly there are fairy tales as we go along that you can credit to one particular sort of author like Perrault or Anderson or De Morgan where we might have an original sort of source story. But even those have changed so much now. And, of course, Disney's The Little Mermaid is nothing like Anderson's yeah, yeah. Little Mermaid because well, she in that keeps one, her feet for one. Yeah, and in that <laughs> version, in that version, just spoilers, like the prince marries someone else and she essentially kills herself. Yeah, yeah. So there is no singing crowd. And Perot was so much about having his little moral at the end of the stories as yeah, well. Yeah, that's often right. often shamed women. Yes. Often. Mm, for the most part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Don't be curious, <laughs> ladies. Because there's nothing but disaster yeah, if you're curious. You'll end up in a strange man's basement being dismembered. Yeah. <laughs> I 
advice, you know, not bad advice, (laughs) terrible advice. But yeah, so particularly in the 19th century, there was this boom in recording these tales. And they were often referred to then as well as wonder tales. This is how you'll often find them referred to. Wonder tales. Wonder tales. I like that. Which is so nice. And yeah, this was happening all over the place, all across Europe and many other parts of the world as well. There was really this boom. A lot of it was quite patriotic as well. You know, there was kind of a sense of trying to find an identity in particular stories. Mm -hmm. And it was no different in Russia. You know, in Russian volumes of folk tales that were coming out around about this time, there was really this kind of sense of trying to find this traditional Russian identity that included these kind of traditional stories. And there there were a couple of really big collections that were published in the 19th century, Afanesev's Russian Folktales and, excuse my Russian pronunciation, Kudyakov's. Mm-hmm. I'm probably not saying that at all correctly. We forget. Great Russian you. tales. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, you'll forgive my <laughs> Russian. They were two real biggies and they both featured Baba Yaga tales. There was also Edith Hodgetts and she had tales and legends from the land of the Tsar. And she was mm. a Russian-born English writer. Mm. So her writing these tales also helped to introduce Baba Yaga to an English yeah. reading audience. But in Russia... Okay, so this is talking about that sort of social context for these stories, right? And so in Russia, it wasn't easy to get books published, even though you might think that, you know, a fairy tale collection is a pretty harmless little peasant tale, right? (laughs) You might think that. You might think that. But in 19th century Russia, right, they were pretty strict on censorship. So not a lot has changed Mm. (laughs) in Russia (laughs) in regards to censorship. Anyway, <laughs> and of course, you know, folk tales, they're not as innocuous as they might they're seem. They're not at all. Like, yeah, no, no, no. Folk tales are not benign at all. No. And they presented these really subversive sort of risks to the church, to the ruling classes, you know, because they kept that connection back mm. to pagan earth worship to pre-Christian ways. Yeah. They also were a way to hide political allegories and, you know, they were ways to hide subversive anti-government ideas. So often they were heavily edited, if not like banned altogether. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you can't keep these sort of stories down, right, you know, and eventually. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> as, no, you definitely Although, can't. Although actually we don't know how many stories have been kept down because by the very nature of them being kept down, we do not know them. We don't know they exist. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So some stories cannot be kept down. That's right. Yeah. So, but these particular stories, especially in Russia, they started to appeal to the educated upper classes who are of course the ones who could afford the books yeah. and they didn't need to rely on those oral traditions of, you know, passing the story around the fire at night. And then, as I said, there was also this sort of growing sense of patriotism in traditional folklore that, you know, appealed to make these stories quite popular towards the middle and the end of the 19th century. So hence the boom in them appearing. And the published versions were altered by the documenters too, of course, who had their own agenda. And translators, I would add to that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that doesn't mean that they're definitive or original in themselves, Mm. even these documented versions. So I should probably get to actually telling to us the, the Baba Yaga story. story. Let's I do, will. Let's hear it. I'm going to do it. Now, so I'm going to tell you a story now, Lauren. 
Okay. And I'm ready. Just to begin with, we don't need to do this the whole way through, but just to begin with, I'm just going to let you fill in some blanks, all right? Okay. You can just take a guess at some of the things that I tell you oh, in this story. All right. Okay. I believe in you thoroughly. I think you know <laughs> these kind of stories well enough. Are they um, archetypal? They are archetypal. <laughs> and you know what? Listeners at home, play along. Yeah, play, play, play along. along. All right, all right. I'm settling um, in. I'm going to maybe even like close my eyes and just like really yeah, just imagine. Feel yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Right, now, this story journey. I'm going to tell you is one version, only one version of a story called Vasilisa the Beautiful. <sighs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, Lauren. Yes. There was a man and his wife and they had a daughter. Oh. And she was very beautiful. It's in the title. So that gives it away. <laughs> but yes, very, very good. But the mother died. Correct. <laughs> but before she died, she gave her daughter a – this is a lot harder. You'll probably never guess this. Okay. Um, <laughs> but you give it a shot. Okay. Well, thinking back to some other fairy tales and myth stories, it could be like a bracelet. Oh, good guess. Very good guess. It was a gift, but it wasn't a bracelet. It was a wooden doll. Oh, a wooden doll. Okay. I'm okay. just moving us along. Yeah. I feel like it would have taken a long time to yeah. get to Wooden Doll. Anyway. <laughs> it would have. And she, to- yeah, would have. <laughs> and she told her that whenever she was lonely or in need of any help or assistance to give the doll a little bit of food and water to drink and that it would help her. Of course. So Good. Very yeah. cool. Nice. Yeah. Cool nice. doll. Good to be able to project now, your grief for your dead mother onto a, you know. Onto a doll. Human. Well, you can always do that. Inanimate object. <laughs> So now, after a few years, the father remarried. Correct. But the stepmother was very wicked and mean. Yes, yes. (laughs) And she hated Vasilisa, obviously. Uh She was very mean to Vasilisa because that's what a stepmother is for. Of course. Obviously, poor stepmothers out there in the world (laughs) who are like listening to this and they're like, I'm not that evil. I know. This is another reason why we need to interrogate fairy tales. Stepmothers get such a bad rap. They do. And also like this is an interesting thing too about the stepmother is that as many folklorists and one folklorist in particular that I looked at in my research, Maria Tata, points out, is that usually stepmothers are just a stand-in for the biological mother they are. anyway. And in often and in a, a – isn't it that in a lot of the original stories they were mothers but then they decided yes. that those stories were too horrific with the biological mothers so they – Correct. Made them stepmothers. They changed them. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. So – Vasilisa's stepmother was Awful. your typical wicked stepmother. Yep. Now, she also had a daughter of her own uh, of course from a did. previous marriage who she, of course, loved a lot more than Vasilisa, but that actually seems kind of fair. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, you know, if you're going to have a favourite, it's probably yeah. going to be your biological child. But, she, of course, she favoured her own child and she gave Vasilisa all the shitty tasks. This is a very Cinderella-esque story so far. Yeah, and there are a lot of Cinderella-esque sorts Mm. of Baba Yaga stories. So one day the father had to go on a... Journey. Correct, yeah. (laughs) And in his absence, the stepmother came up with a cunning plan to get rid of Vasilisa, who she didn't like. So she went around the house and she put out all the fires, the fire in the hearth, Mm. blew out all the candles. And then she said to Vasilisa that she had to go and beg more fire from... Oh, um, the fireman. 
No, it's the star of today's show. Baba Yaga! Correct! <laughs> you didn't even I didn't need know a hint. Baba Yaga was responsible for fire. Well, actually, interestingly, yes, she is quite associated with fire and she's associated with ovens and stoves as well. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yes. I yes. feel like that's something I knew. Yep. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. So we can talk about that a little bit more as well because there's some more interesting things to add to that. So tucking her beloved wooden doll into her pocket, Vasilisa sets out into the The woods, the forest. Yes, the The forest. Of course. The dark forest. forest. See, you know know it all. You know the story. Cracking on the ground. It's crunching all those dead leaves that have fallen. (laughs) I'm imagining it's autumn things that it's a bit chilly there's owls hooting yes yeah the distant glow of wolves eyes peering through the trees in the darkness is that wolves eyes or is that just a reflection of the moon on the pond that's over there who can say vasilisa is in her cloak and she's huddled up and she's (laughs) walking quickly because she can hear things in the forest because her senses are attuned to the night well actually interestingly enough she does hear a noise in the forest oh. and she hides herself away in the bracken and then she sees riding past a man on a white stallion streaking by Ooh. and he is all clad in white armour. And she's like, oh, that's wow. interesting. How interesting. Anyway, she toddles that's on. That's weird. Soon she hears another noise and so she hides herself. Well, actually not soon, a long time afterwards. This takes a long time. <laughs> she hides herself away in the bracken again and this time she sees a man riding past and he's all dressed in red in armour. No. Red, okay. Red. red. And he's streaking by on a russet steed. Ooh. And on she toddles and then after a black. long time. Yes, black. Thank you. I say. <laughs> What's the next colour? We get a black horse and a black Rider oh. in black armor. Da, da, wow. da. What does it all mean? Well, we'll what eventually does it find all out. Mean? Well, it's very symbolic. It means some interesting things, but it actually has very little to do with the action of this story. Okay. So, <laughs> but I just thought I'd let you know. So all now right. it's the dead of night, right? But ahead. ahead. Why is she out there? It's cold. Because home. evil stepmother has sent her out and said, don't That's come so back she- without the fire, right? And she knows, she's like, well, Baba Yaga, she's probably going to eat me because that's what she does, okay? So oh ahead she sees Baba Yaga's house. Now, Just Baba Yaga. Little... Stop, stop. Hang on. What? It's a little thatch-roofed cottage, I imagine. It's got a chimney. There's some smoke coming out. It's like a little bit round. There's some like big stones, a little path, a little flower box with wilted flowers sitting in the window because she's Baba Yaga. I love that. I love the way you got so you're like, stop. I'm going <laughs> to describe the house. Just stop. Well, Lauren, it's interesting that you stopped me there because I was going to describe her house <laughs> because Baba Yaga's house is really, really unique. It's so okay. unique. And you've made a good guess there. But okay. it's a little bit different. So Baba Yaga's house is a little log cabin standardly this is how we see it sort of portrayed as this little log cabin however it is on a pair of chicken legs okay didn't see that one coming (laughs) Coming. and (laughs) it spins around endlessly right what it's just this house on a pair of chicken legs (laughs) it's a house on a pair of chicken legs constantly spinning Uh, around you know what actually i feel like (laughs) 
This is a this is a nerdy comment. I feel like there might be something like that in the game The Witcher Three. Well, you know what? Baba Yaga is a character that is used in so many games. Yeah, and she. I feel like that's might be in there, or I, some a riff of it. Like they've, yeah, they've riffed. It. It's been a couple of years. But yeah. Okay. All I right. think chicken I, legs. I reckon you're probably right because this is one of her most famous ways of recognizing a Baba Yaga story. Right. You know, you've got a Baba Yaga story if you've got a spinning house on chicken legs. Yeah. There's no mistaking that as a Baba Yaga <laughs> no. story. And There's, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so just, yeah, it's great. It's fantastic. And it's usually sort of surround, and of course, it's in the forest. It's in the dead of the forest, the yeah. middle of the forest, because she does have these resonances to this sort of forest spirit, earth mother kind of mm. pagan history. And so it's usually surrounded by a fence of skulls on spikes. Whoa. That's heavy. That's hardcore, man. It's That's pretty not good. fairy tale. That is history. That's <laughs> the real stuff. But these skulls on spikes are blazing into the night with fire in the hollows of their eye sockets. Okay. All right. Sorry. Stop. This is <laughs> fucked. This is a See, lot. You're terrified. You're terrified. This is a lot. This is a children's story? Well, it's a folklore. I mean, folklore is not just for children. No. They get diluted for children, actually, really. Yeah, don't exactly. They? Like, usually, wow. essentially, they're meant to scare you in the first place. Okay, all right. So, I'm Vasilisa. Yeah. I'm walking through the haunted forest. You're I see three fucking dudes go past on horses. Yep. There's owls hooting, there's blinking wolf eyes in the distance. There sure are. Yep. I'm like, fucked, because if I go home without the fire, the fire. something's going to happen. I approach a fence. Mm-hmm. With fucking skulls mm-hmm. on f- fire. Yep. On yeah. stakes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I walk through the fiery skull gate <laughs> to see a house on chicken legs. Yeah. Revolving. Yeah. And uh, I'm just like, cool, okay, I made it. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, doesn't that happen to you <laughs> usually when you go for a walk in the forest? Yeah. yeah. I think the closest is when I was on the rotating restaurant in <laughs> Albania in Tirana. There's a big revolving restaurant that looks over the whole city uh, of Tirana. Not on chicken That legs. was a very weird place. Yeah. But you didn't get attacked by a witch and there were no chicken legs in sight? I can't say I didn't get attacked by a witch. <laughs> Who can say? Yeah, there were there were frog's legs there. That was... Oy. Anyway, so that's there a were different legs. story. The, the, yeah, this is just – I'm just trying to relate it back to yeah. my own experience. Well, I have actually heard some references to the fact that way back in the day, sometimes storehouses were built up on tree trunks to yes. keep them away from animals. Well, and To be fair, I did think that that's originally what you meant, like just on on stalks because that's safer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, so and, and flooding and all that kind of stuff. That's right. And often that, that sort of tree trunk kind of effect, if it still mm. had the roots at the bottom, would kind of look somewhat mm. like chicken feet. Mm-hmm. But in Baba Yaga's house, it's lit, they are real chicken feet. They're yeah. chicken feet doing their little revolving But giant. Dance. But giant. They would have to be giant. Yeah, they would have to. That's not very high. That's Otherwise just they're not going to hold that house up. up. Yeah. No. <laughs> so <laughs> be hundreds of chicken legs. Anyway. <laughs> so suddenly, right, so yeah, you're right. This is the vista that you've come upon, mm. right? And then suddenly out of nowhere comes Baba Yaga 
and she appears in her mode of transport, preferred <laughs> mode of transport. Oh, shit. I don't want to know. What is it? <laughs> it's a mortar a and pestle. What? That doesn't – that's a stationary object. Not How in- do you – does she get the pestle like a boat and is she like rowing with the pestles on either side? Yes. So, yes. so she sits in her mortar. She flies around in her mortar and she basically like – Propels herself on with the pestle, uses it. Basically, it's an oar. She's got this pestle as an oar. But she also, in her other hand, she has a broom. And she uses the broom to sweep away her tracks. Now, of course, what witch doesn't have a broom? You've got to have a broom. Yeah. So she appears in her mortar and pestle with her broom sweeping away her tracks. And she demands to know why Vasilisa is loitering outside of her chicken leg house. And Vasilisa is like, well, I've been sent to beg some fire. And Baba Yaga's like, well, you're going to work for it. I'm not just going to give you fire for free. So you're going to need to work hard to earn your fire. And if you don't do your jobs well, then I'm going to fucking eat you up. I'm going to throw you in the stove and I'm going to eat you up because that is my food of choice. I'm a cannibal. (laughs) I prefer – and she is. She's she's usually a cannibal. She prefers to eat children. And she prefers yeah, to eat obviously. girls. Yeah. She doesn't often Fair. eat men, but in a pinch she'll she, eat a man yeah. if she has to. Yeah. But everybody knows, you know, babies and women taste better. Of course. It's that supple flesh. It's logical. <laughs> so she calls out to her house and tells it to stop spinning and face her. And it does what she bids. It stops spinning. It turns around and faces her. The door flies open. And in they go. Now, this is an interesting one because that sort of command to get the house to stop spinning is one that comes up again in so many of her stories. And usually the random hero or heroine, whoever it is, just happens to know the magical words to say to get Mm. the house to stop spinning. And I think that this is because these stories were so familiar to the tellers that it was like that kind of thing of like, you know, open sesame. It becomes that kind of. Yeah. Command that everybody knows. Oh, if call I see. Call and response. Call and response. Yeah. I see a spinning chicken like house. This is what I, I say, say to get it to stop. Ayo. And it stops. Yeah. <laughs> or what? you say, you say something along the lines of turn your back to the sea and your front to me and it will stop Ooh, spinning. That's and nicer face than Ayo. That's much better. It is. What? Just out of curiosity. When are you going to poke, tales, are you gonna poke a hole in this? When these tales were being first told, were there a lot of mushrooms around, do you think? Oh, you would have collected so in many forest mushrooms. Forest? But yeah. Yeah. Everyone was just, totally whacked out. They were just, I feel like maybe they were just <laughs> really high. No, I, I mean, there are so many no, different. No, I'm joking. Of, of course, course. Of course. I'm joking. And there were so many different references back to the natural world. This is what yeah. these stories yeah. do all the time. They're explaining the natural world. And this sort of revolving of the house is often referred to as this idea of basically of just the world spinning, right? Yeah. Of time circulating. Is there a symbolic significance of the chicken legs at all? Do you know? Like, is that like maybe um, a fertility thing or something to do? You know, I'm just thinking about eggs and hens. And- yes. Well, I think there is definitely a connection to it. And Baba Yaga is often connected to different animals and birds are 
part and parcel of that as mm. well. And so I think that there is definitely that symbolism that relates back to symbolism of fertility and death and rebirth yeah. because Baba Yaga is very much a death and rebirth kind of character too. Yeah. So I think that there is, but I don't know if it's ever sort of been definitively proven why mm. this house comes with chicken legs. But I do think that that storage house kind of idea is also a really mm. believable one. But mm-hmm. regardless, it sets up this really fabulous kind of image of what we come across. Mm. In, in And, you know, it's a very Hansel and Gretel kind of thing, but yep. it's even more impressive than a gingerbread house, right, in my personal yeah. opinion. Well, yeah, okay. okay yeah, <laughs> sure. So, so she's going to eat her. She's going to eat a task. Yeah, so she says, you know, if you can't perform your task very well, I'm going to eat you. So into the house they go, Babiaga's commanded to stop and they go inside and Babiaga sets her to work and tells her she needs to cook for her, she needs to clean the house and, you know, so Vasilisa sets to her task, putting everything to rights. She doesn't know much about cooking but she's going to give it a shot. She doesn't know much about cleaning but she's going to give it a shot. So it's also an instructive sort of story as well, which a lot of these stories were kind of instructing a young woman in the affairs of the domestic world, right? So she sets about doing all this stuff. Yeah. And now Babiaga is going to head out into the world again and she's going to set her a task while she's out. She's like, right, so I'm going out, going hunting for babies I'm going to eat and <laughs> while I'm out you need to sort through these grains and you need to sift mm. the good grains from the bad grains and yeah. if you fail then I'm going to eat you up when I come yeah. home. There's always a, a Sisyphean task, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes my life feels very much like this. (laughs) I like to call them like Rumpelstiltskin tasks. Yeah. Where it's like. That was the other one I was. You know how like in your, when you're, before you're about to say something and it feels like time is really elongated as your brain makes a decision Mm -hmm. between like a couple of different versions of what you're going to say. And it feels like they must think I'm not, I'm just like an idiot sitting and staring at them, not saying anything. And then you decide to go with one, but actually no time has passed at all because that's just the magic of our brains. I went with Sisyphean, but the other option was Rumpelstiltskin. Yeah. I mean, they're very similar sorts of things, right? These the impossible tasks essentially. Yeah. And so Babiaga fucks off in her mortar and pestle as you do. Yep. Now, so Vasilisa has herself a bit of a cry because she's like, how the fuck am I supposed to do that? I clearly <laughs> yeah. can't do that. But... She's got her little doll. Remember the wooden okay. doll? So yeah, she gets you her. Do. Yes, she gets the doll out and she gives it a little bit of food and a little bit of water. And oh, because her mum said, if you need help with anything. That's right. Okay. So its eyes start to glow and it comes to yeah. life, which that's is also. Terrifying. Yeah, horrific. <laughs> but it's okay because it's a very nice doll. and It, it says, loves her. It's her it mother's doll. It's fine. And it says, don't worry one bit. You know, you need to have a sleep. So just lay yeah. down and have a sleep and I'm going to deal with this. This will be great yeah. for you. Like Olivia Newton-John in A Mum for Christmas. Yes. Yes. Just like that? <laughs> sure. So. so early 90s movie about a mannequin <laughs> that comes to life. Just doesn't matter. Uh, it can't be any worse than the actual movie Mannequin, which is fucking Oh, un- terrible. That's oh, my so God. Unwatchable. That was on TV the other night. It's unwatchable. And we were like, wow. Anyway. It was watchable when you were a kid, but now you're just (laughs) like, this is fucking unwatchable. Anyway. So Vasilisa lies down and falls asleep. While she's asleep, the doll calls on all of the mice to come and help. And they all come skittering out 
and they start sifting the grain for her and they've mm. got the job done in no time and then they fuck off again and the doll Ooh. climbs back into Vasilisa's little dress and hides itself away. All done. Nice. And when Baba Yaga comes home, she's like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, well, wait a minute. Uh, you did it? That's... Um, I mean... Good job. Uh, yeah, she's but I come home with her spring onions and a ready to cook her up and a pepper. Yeah. yeah. So she's actually a bit pissed off that she's managed yeah. to do this. Yeah. Right. So anyway, she decides the next day she's going to set her another task. So this time she sets her another task, which is to separate mm. poppy seeds from grains of soil. Oh, for fuck's sake. What a bullshit task, man. Another Sisyphean task. So, of course, and then she fucks off again in a mortar and pestle. And Vasilisa's yeah. like, oh, I'm going to have another bit of a cry. And it's like, sure, 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 but you've got the doll. No worries. Yeah. So she Olivia says to the doll, John to the rescue. what am I going to do, Olivia Newton-John? And Olivia Newton-John <laughs> says, don't you worry your head about it. You just lie down and have a yeah. sleep. And so <laughs> this time around the doll calls on all the birds of the forest to come and they all come and they sort the grains of soil from the poppy seeds for her job done. Wonderful. So Baba Yaga comes home and, again, she's pretty fucking furious. And in some versions at this point, Baba Yaga just outright says to Vasilisa, like, how the fuck are you doing this? How the fuck are you managing to do all these ridiculous tasks I'm setting you? Yeah. Because I want to eat you, so I need you to fail. And And she's probably getting very hungry by now. Yeah, that's right. She really wants to eat this chick. And Vasilisa basically replies to say that she has managed to do it because she has the blessing of her mother. Mm-hmm. At which point, Baba Yaga is like, oh, fuck off. Get the fuck out of my house. Because wow. I will not have anyone blessed in my presence. Right? Whoa. Whoa. So this is another thing about Baba Yaga, right? She's outside these sorts of binaries where often we'll, in tales we'll have witches who sort of either – you know, like the hero or the heroine often sort of responds to God or they are answerable yeah. to God. And the wicked or the evil characters are aligned with the devil yes. and they answer to the devil or whatever. But Baba Yaga is her own fucking thing. <laughs> she answers to no one, but she will not have anyone blessed in her presence. So she throws her out. In other versions of the task, she sets her a third task and heads off leaving her to this task but this time Vasilisa asks the doll how she's going to escape she's right like I can't do this task I just need to get the fuck out of here and what we also get in some versions of this tale is that Baba Yaga being a, a forest dweller a forest creature she has a pet dog she has a pet cat and the dog and the cat you know, the dogs tried to bite Vasilisa. Mm. The cats tried to scratch Vasilisa. The tree in the yard has tried to lash her yep. with her like with the with, of with the branches. Yeah, yep. the gate won't open to let her out. Right, so she's yes. trapped. Ah, oh, so, this whole conspiracy house. Yeah, so she can't what get a out. She can't it's a get Jackson out. Jackson nightmare. It's a Shirley, <laughs> it's a, I should clarify. This is a Shirley Jackson nightmare. Yeah, not just like the Jackson Five nightmare. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Shirley Jackson nightmare. <laughs> so she's trapped different in this nightmare. house. Very different. She's trapped in this house because Baba Yaga has all of these ways of keeping her trapped there. So she says to the doll, look, I've just got to get the fuck out of here. How the fuck do I get out? And the doll says, well, you need to feed the dog. You yep. need to give the cat a bowl of milk. You Checks need out. to tie the tree up with a ribbon and you yes. need to oil the hinges of the gate. 
<sighs> and she's like, well, that sounds pretty logical. So she throws the dog a bone, yep. puts out some milk through the cat, ties, yep, the, ties the tree up with the ribbon, hinges the gate, Good fucking walks voila, out. she's out, right? As she goes out the gate, she thinks, shit, I better get some fire. Right, because that oh, that's was what, what I she came, came all this way for. And if I go home without it, then I'm screwed. Yeah. So she grabs one of the skulls on a stick and <laughs> uses it to <laughs> light Shit, her way home. This. I forgot. Why didn't she just take one in the first place? Because she, because Bubby Yaga turned up, and because then she was stuck because of the dog and the cat no, and the tree right, and the right. gate and all that shit. Right. The conspiracy house, the Shirley Jackson house, the Jackson Five house. So she heads <laughs> off home with her skull on a stick, lighting the way. When Bubby Yaga gets back, she's like, "Dog, what the fuck? Why did you let her go?" And the dog's yeah. like, "Well, oh, she gave sorry, me a bone." It's a delicious bone. And I've served you for forever and you've never given me so much as shit. Yeah, I know. Snap back from the dog. She's like, cat, why did you not scratch her? And the cat's like, because she gave me milk milk and you never gave me shit. Mm. And she's like, all right. Tree, Mm, why didn't you lash her? Tree's like, well, because she tied me up with a pretty ribbon and you never even weeded me, you bitch. Oh, fuck off. Gate, why did you let her out? And the gate's like, You never oiled me in your life, woman. That's right. And she oiled my hinges. So, like, best of luck to her. for ages. And in some versions, Baba Yaga's like, yeah, okay, cool. So also, though, Baba Yaga is being shamed for not being a very good housekeeper. (laughs) <laughs> in a lot of ways yes that's right she can't even keep house right and this is an interesting thing because she is sort of like as that forest dweller earth spirit she's also mm-hmm. aligned with animals even mm-hmm. if she treats animals badly they still love her yeah. they do her bidding they still do her bidding in a yep. lot of stories so vasilisa returns home to her stepmother and her stepmother and her stepsister come running out and they're like, where the fuck have you been we have been sitting here in the cold because we couldn't relight the fire um, Did you we'll send me out of your impossible task into the haunted forest, you fuckers? And she's like, well, and she's about to tell them when the skull sends out laser rays and burns them to ashes. What? That's not what happens. It is actually legitimately what happens. That is a deus ex machina if I ever heard one. <laughs> the skull literally shoots flames at the stepmother and the stepsister, burns them to ashes. Is this a Michael Bay movie? What's going on? Why all the the needless destruction? (laughs) Oh, I see what you mean, what that reference was. I was like, well, how is that relevant? Needless destruction. Um, No, well, I mean, it's just because obviously the stepmother and the stepsister were fucked and they deserved to be burnt to ashes and the skull could see that quite plainly. So why not? Does anyone deserve to be burnt to ashes? Okay, maybe not. But she, (laughs) Vasilisa buries all the ashes and she buries the skull all well and good. Of course, she relights the fires. That's fine. The father comes home and he's pretty chill about it because it's a fairy tale. And then eventually she marries the Tsar. So, so the end. Right. So this is really a story about Vasilisa. Yes, but Baba Yaga's <laughs> role in this is incredibly important, obviously. Okay. Right? All know. right. Well, Tell of us. course, I mean, all, I mean, Baba Yaga is, she's the witch. She's never going to be the protagonist. She's No, that's know, true. She's the witch that's there. Because she kind lives of outside. Be, like coming back to the idea of her being a shit housekeeper and instead she is the earth mother. Yeah. Is because, like she lives outside of society. She's yeah. beyond civilization. Yeah. And, and so and as that person beyond and outside of civilization, 
she is always going to be other. She's never going to be the protagonist. And she's always going to yeah. be shit at keeping house because that's what happens when you don't live in the civilized world. You're yeah. a monster who lives, who doesn't know how to feed a dog properly. Yeah. Well, uh, and I mean, that's it. She doesn't she's put all, ribbons in your trees. She's always reason. the, she's the fulcrum of the story, right? Essentially. Yeah. She's the part of the story on which the plot hinges or twists and she is going to turn the protagonist's destiny one way mm. or the other. And she is this liminal figure and she lives in the liminal spaces. Yeah. You know, the forest is the liminal space. This is yes, the place is. that you go to that's outside of civilization. Yeah. It is this, yeah. It's it, the entryway into the other world. That's right. And it is that kind of borderland and she lives yes. on the borderland. The forest and is always the borderland. Always. I love the forest. Yeah. And she, because this is where she dwells and this is kind of the nature part of her figure, Mm. you know, so she comes to as this classic witch but then she has these definitively pagan roots in, you know, a mix of goddesses and stories. Going back to early Slavic goddesses, one particular goddess called Mokosh who was a goddess of fertility and women's Mm -hmm. protection. She was also a goddess of spinning, which, you know, is good old women's work. And in some versions of Baba Yaga's story, the house is on spindle heels, not on chicken Mm -hmm. legs, but on spindles. And so this is another kind of connection back to this Mokosh goddess fertility figure. Um, So she has those Mother Earth qualities that run through into her story because she is associated with that. And sometimes she's as much of a threat as she is a benefactor or a protector or a helper. And this plays into that part of her story where there's this kind of ambiguity around her Mm. as a figure. And your destiny, as I said, it hinges on what she decides for you because sometimes she decides to be the predator and sometimes she decides to be the benefactor. So in that particular story, she is obviously preying on Vasilisa. She's the threat to Vasilisa. But in other stories like Prince Ivan or I Go Not Where and I Seek I Know Not What, which are other Baba Yaga stories, and, yeah, Baba Yaga's never the protagonist. They're still Baba Yaga stories though because she's the key figure that these heroes or heroines encounter so that's why they are definitely, definitively Baba Yaga yeah. stories. But in these other stories, often the stories that involve men as protagonists, she discovers that they're her son-in-law. Often. Oh, often they've really? married so one of her daughters. She does actually have children. So in some versions she has children. Okay. And when she comes to discover that she has some kind of familial linkage to these characters, then she will go out of her way to help them Mm. and she will feed them and accommodate them and then often in certain stories she'll give them a ball of thread, which is a magical ball of thread, and she'll say, right, use this to go to my next sister's house along and she will help you. And then Mm. they'll go to the next Baba Yaga and that Baba Yaga will assist them again and then to the next. So she's also kind of, she's plural in a lot of ways as well. Yes, We often see her, often, as I said, she has daughters and those daughters function as Baba Yagas. Often she has sisters or cousins who are also Baba Yaga's. So she's never just she's, – she's not necessarily just one. In some stories yeah. there's just one Baba Yaga, but in some stories there are multiple Baba Yagas and she returns again and again and again. And so she can be of help. She can be a benefactress rather than a threat. And that really subverts that sort of patriarchal binary, right, of that yeah. dualistic sort of folkloric idea 
of pagan figures as multifaceted pagan figures as representing life and death at the same time, those two things together. You know, the mm. Christian church just couldn't deal with that. Yes. Had to pull them apart yeah, and had to make them yeah, complete yeah, binaries, good and evil, Absolutely. nothing in between. Yeah. And that's why in subsequent retellings, these figures become more and more binary in good mm-hmm. and evil. But in Baba Yaga stories, we don't necessarily just get that straight out evil because even in that little story, that one example of a Baba yeah. Yaga story that I told you, in some versions she chases Vasilisa, yeah. she gives chase, and then a whole lot of other things happen. But in many versions, she just kind of like she's just kind of like, well, she outsmarted me. Yeah. The end. You she's know? sort of ambiguous, I suppose. She's, she is an because again, because she's outside. Yeah, she's an incredibly yeah. ambiguous character, and what I love about her is the fact that you never know with her what you're going to get. She's not that Hansel and Gretel witch where you yeah. know one hundred percent that she's evil and she wants to eat these kids, and that's it. And either you kill her or she kills you. Mm. that's essentially the Hansel and Gretel version of that, right? Whereas with Baba Yaga, she can change her mind on the pinhead. It's It's almost like she respects your ability to outsmart her. And this is so incredibly important because like with so much folklore, these are moralistic tales that have a message. They're Mm. telling you something. And in a lot of versions like this version of Vasilisa, it's about – the domestic, right? Mm-hmm. Vasilisa goes to work for Baba Yaga and she learns these domestic tasks. She learns, even though she escapes from her, you know, there's still these ideas around learning obedience and learning mm-hmm. to do the task that set you, you know, and achieving those tasks. So there are these moralistic ideas that function into her stories that kind of are, are setting out for those peasant children arranged around the fireplace hearing these tales, it tells them what they're, what's expected mm-hmm. of them. Yeah. Yeah, and so, yes, so you're right. So she, she can really respect you for outwitting mm. her. She can respect you if you manage to find your way out of her trap. Then she's like, oh, yeah. well, you earned that. Cool. You did it. Yeah, good job. Yeah. Because there's stories where she is helpful, isn't there? Like there are stories where she comes to the aid yes. of the protagonist, right? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So that, so as I said, there's not enough time in the world to tell mm. you all the Baba Yaga stories in this particular episode because we will be here for days. Um, <laughs> and the one particular version that I picked to tell is one of the more common versions that you hear, mm. the Vasilisa, the beautiful version, but there are so many versions even of just that one particular tale. She's also Vasilisa the Brave often. Uh, Vasilisa the Brave is actually more of a modern thing that's been applied oh, to Oh, really? Her. Yeah. There's not really any traditional ones that refer to her as Vasilisa okay. the Brave. No, that's a much more modern kind of like almost feminist retelling yeah, right. of her stories. Okay. I guess maybe because she does get away because she does outsmart her. Yeah. But this comes back to that idea of finding new ways of telling her story mm. that speak to the context of our time, Right. And we rewrite them in certain ways to speak to things now. So now Mm. bravery and wisdom are the important things in the story. Yeah. Instead of being Vasilisa the beautiful, she's Vasilisa the brave, right? But also I think one part of this is that it's interesting to consider, you know, that audience sitting around the fire 
listening to these stories and characters like Baba Yaga who recur in these stories and end up being so frequent because as these stories come from an oral tradition, the audience would have had a hell of a lot of effect Mm. And they would have had preferences of the stories that they mm. would wanted to hear. Absolutely, and the, yes. And the bits they wanted to leave out. And if the storyteller yep. was telling a story they didn't yep. like. And they if, knew they got to this part of the story and they know that that's when the audience all has a snooze fest. Yeah, They're going to exactly. stop telling that part of the story. They're like, forget that. I'm going to drop that yep. out of the story. No one cares. But if they get to the part of the story where they're like, and Baba Yaga appears and everyone's like, fuck yes, let's hear more about yes. that. They're like, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So it's skulls with fire. Because like, who doesn't what? want to hear about that? Whoa, a chicken leg hut. Whoa, fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the fact that she's so prominent in so many yeah. stories. She gets is that response. Testament to her popularity, right? Yeah. And testament to the fact that she, these stories were asked for again and again. Everybody loves the boogie woman though. I yes. Think. Like there's something really intrinsic. It's like, it is like a weird, maybe it is tied to a weird I don't know, mother thing where it's like because maybe it's because she's not the opposite of the mother, but in many ways she is. Like I guess the hag is that kind of counter, not counter because she's the next step from the mother as we kind of outlined at the beginning of the episode. But Mm. Baba Yaga as this terrifying boogie woman is that opposite of the nurturing, loving Mm. mother Mm. who we all – you know, like that's your sense of comfort as a child and safety is yeah. your mother's arms. And then so what is more frightening than that than the old haggard woman mm. who might snatch, who lives in the forest, who's going to come and snatch you away yeah. and whose skin isn't nice and warm and enveloping but is wrinkly and cold and and she's going to put you in her fire and eat you. Instead of yeah. hugging you and bringing her, you know, you to her breast, she's going to eat you. Yeah. That's terrifying. That is the opposite of everything psychologically. Like, I mean, you know. All that, all those attachments that we have. But at the same time, her stories are also are a lot about stories of matriarchy and initiation yeah. rituals. And so there is this mother matriarchy side to her as well because, as we said, she's testing girls' domestic skills really, you know. Yeah. They have to because in some stories it's not just cook or clean. In some stories they have to stoke the fire or they have to weave for her. So they've got these di- really didactic and instructive sides to them. And the girls that fail at these tasks are the ones that get thrown into the fire and eaten. Mm. But the girls who master them or, as we mentioned, you know, the girls that who outwit her at completing them, they're the ones who might gain her anger or her wrath but usually are the ones that are spared. They're the ones that get away. And yeah. so there's, there's this kind of ultimate moral about competency at domestic life <laughs> You know, it's pretty fucking important because if you are competent at domestic life, then Baba Yaga is going to spare you. She's not going to eat you. But if so you wonder- fucking suck at it, she's going <laughs> to chuck you in the goddamn because fire. Because she kind of sucks at it though. And so she's also kind of like the poster child for the alternative life. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, okay, so she's getting all of these young girls and she's kind of inadvertently training them. Like you won't listen to your own mother when she tries to teach you how to weave. So you yeah. go to – she sends you on this ridiculous quest knowing that Baba Yaga is going to kind of force your hand by giving you this fucking mm. Sisyphean task. Like yeah. 
separate the wheat from the chaff or I will eat you, yes. forcing you to become domestic. But at the same time, Baba Yaga is this person who represents the antithesis of the domestic. Mm. She's mm-hmm. the she's the opposite. She's the woman on the outside. She's the woman who's rejected that. Yeah. She's the woman who lives in the forest, in the liminal space, who is an old, haggard crone who doesn't give a fuck, yeah. who doesn't put ribbons in her tree or oil the hinge on her gate. Yeah. Who, you know, like you'd think that these girls would go out to her and be like, oh, my God, you live in this amazing freedom in a house on chicken legs <laughs> and you don't have that. a husband telling you what to do and you don't have children hanging off of you 24 hours a day and you get to make your own decisions and you get to be like entrepreneurial and be like, yeah, you will do – I will give you fire if you do all of my housework for me. Like that's – she's an entrepreneur. <laughs> you know, she's a businesswoman. And like, and these, it's weird that these girls don't go to her and then see this. But they're like, you know what? You're aspirational as fuck. I want to be just like Baba Yaga. But instead, she tricks them into learning domestic skills and then they go back home. But that's it, Lauren, right? Because this is what we're talking about, about the historical context of the story. Because your historical context of the story is the now, where you're yes. like, I want to live like her. I want to be the woman in the better. woods. Yeah. Whereas, of course, the historical context of these stories is that, exactly. Jesus Christ, no, that's not what you, you wanted. You do not want to be the hag in the forest. You don't want to be that. don't want to be the swamp witch. No one wants to be the swamp witch. You don't want to be the swamp witch. We're like, oh, we stand the swamp witch. Yes, all hail. All hail the swamp (laughs) witch. But this is it, right? It's because there's also sort of this sense to these stories, Vasilisa kind of stories, of, you know, insert yourself here. It's kind of like the Twilight Bella kind of thing, where it's (laughs) like this blank character and you put yourself. That's you now. You're that character in this story. Yeah. Sorry to anyone who really likes Twilight, but I really feel like <laughs> that's a very true thing of Bella. She's not really anything uh, except a blank canvas She's that you insert, is project yourself uh-huh. onto. Sorry, so sorry to everyone who loves Twilight <laughs> who I've just offended. But this is that context, right? And when these stories were first being passed on, they weren't just superstitious folktales, but they were real stories of belief. Mm. And real stories that would populate those dark nights in the forest where this all felt very, very real. And yeah, this is kind of another way that we can think about folk tales and folklore now is that, it, and it's still in many places now, it is a living phenomenon, right? Mm. It mm. still exists. These stories Absolutely. aren't just written down in the past Bada bing, bada boom, that's great. And now yeah. they're fodder for Disney films. They are still <laughs> part of active oral traditions. They are mm. still part, they're, they're as much a part of folk traditions as folk songs or folk yeah. dances. Well, like you or said, your, your, your friends, your Polish friends grew up with these stories. Yeah, that's right. And it does come back too to this idea of collective identity as well. Yes. And when you see Baba Yaga portraying in art, there's so much beautiful, beautiful, beautiful yeah, Baba Yaga even art. If you just go on Wikipedia, you can find some really great yeah. stuff. And she's usually dressed as in that sort of traditional 18th century yeah. kind of peasant, Russian peasant garb, right? Mm-hmm. This is how she's presented because this is – this is the identity that's attached to her and this is the cultural story that she tells. So there's so much fed into just one 
figure. So many different things fed into this, just this one key liminal figure of folklore. And I was just going to say, because folklore is this, it is a living and breathing thing. And these Mm. stories are not static. These stories grow and they develop and they change. And that is their function. And that is what they should do. And I think that means that it is okay for us to project a new kind of mm. aspiration onto a figure like Baba Yaga, to turn her from the you do not want to end up like the Swamp Witch Baba Yaga, so learn to do your chores and come home like a good girl, into mm. holy shit, Baba Yaga gets to hang out on her own terms, do her own thing, she doesn't answer to anyone and I want to be living in a chicken hut in the forest. <laughs> I want to be that. Yeah, yeah. Like we're allowed to do that. We're allowed to reclaim this story and say she is actually a feminist icon because she doesn't answer to anybody. No, yeah. She's completely her own authority. Yeah. And it's interesting the way that she has been reclaimed in a lot of different stories in a lot of different ways. And, of course, there's a hell of a lot of retellings, much more modern retellings that approach her in different, much more forgiving kind of guises where it isn't just she's this hideous hag anymore. No, she is more Mm. than that. She is this really fascinating character. And uh, one of the interesting things I wanted to come back to was we were talking at the start about sort of her connection to fire. We touched on that. And she is also associated with fire because of that sort of big fucking stove that she threatens to Mm. cook you in, which, of course, is very Hansel and Gretel. And Mm -hmm. in some versions of some Bubby Ag stories, she does go down the Hansel and Gretel route where she does get put in the stove herself and cooked in the stove where she gets outwitted and she does burn up there. But there's also this very kind of womb-like fertility sort of idea around the stove. The oven, it's the hearth of the home. The hearth Mm. is the heart of the home. And it's not just about like cooking. It's not like a stove. I think we have associations of the stove as being – these days, this this thing that you turn on for, you know, 20 to 30 minutes in the evening when you're cooking your dinner. But actually yeah. the stove in this time is integral to the life of the house. If the mm. stove mm-hmm. fire goes out, you freeze to death. Yeah. Yeah. Like Which is why to, you then have to go out in the forest and beg for fire from Bubba Yaga. Yeah. And they used to sleep on the stove. Yeah, yeah, above like the, the stove. stove was central into the house. Your bed was on top of the stove because that was the warmest place in the house. Yeah, and so this is actually literally the heart of your home. Yeah, yeah, and so Baba Yaga functions around that heart of the home in a very symbolic sort of way. And mm. another part of the home that she functions around in another symbolic sort of way as well is that she's often associated. With the bathhouse too. Yeah, really? Yeah, which of course in, you know, very snowy, cold temperaments is very important. So the bathhouse Mm. or the sauna. And that bit of association kind of as well comes back to her, that sort of deeper roots in her as a fertility goddess because often birth took place in the bathhouse because it was relatively clean, it was fairly private, it was warm. So if you were giving birth in the dead of winter – (sighs) <sighs> Go give birth in the bathhouse, right? Sure. Makes and sense. One of the really wonderful sort of things that I learnt as a totally random aside, you know when you have those moments in life where you're like, Oh, I get I see that. Yeah. Was when I was in Japan and we went to the Studio Ghibli Museum mm-hmm. and 
read it on a plaque somewhere about how Miyazaki was a really big fan of Baba Yaga stories and Yubaba, Yubaba inspirited away <laughs> of course. who owns the bathhouse oh my god yes is essentially baba yaga that's who yes, she is of course so next time you're watching spirited away totally. you can be like oh her name is Yababa and she owns <laughs> she a bathhouse yeah 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 and she also is like an old hag. lady she's yeah she's hag. an old yeah. witchy hag <laughs> yeah i'm like awesome but of cool. course again in Miyazaki's version of that, so for anyone who hasn't seen Spirited Away yet, just get on it immediately. She is also ambiguous. She sets yeah. tasks and yeah. she puts restraints, but she's also like she's willing to bend those restraints and those tasks as well. Yeah. She's She is, again, an ambiguous sort of benefactress, but also yeah. the one that's kind of tying you down to what you need to do. So anyway, that's a really interesting kind of little aside that I thought was wonderful when I read that. I was like, oh, I fucking see that now. Yeah. Oh, of yeah. course, it's so yeah. obvious. Once I do you now. See that kind of connection. And she appears in so much popular culture. Like, as you were saying, she is in a bunch of video games used as a classic sort of witch she appears in the most recent hellboy film and comics as well strangely enough here's a bit of random information i love hellboy i don't know if any <laughs> if that makes sense but she, there's a wonderful portrayal in the last hellboy film of baba yaga which is wonderful but <laughs> she she just comes back time and time again and you can yeah. recognize her you know when you've got a, a Baba Yaga story because you have these particular sorts of features that are, have become so attached to her. And they are mm. domestic features, right? You know, she, she flies around in a mortar and pestle. Well, who fucking uses that? The woman yeah. in the kitchen, you know? Like yeah. she's got her broom. Who fucking uses that? The domestic woman cleaning the house. Like yep. All of these symbols around her are symbols of the domestic, symbols of the home, even though she lives in that liminal sort of space. So, I look, I, there's so much more to talk about with Baba Yaga, but we'll have to end it somewhere. So I think yeah. there's some key things to take <laughs> away from that. You need to go out and read lots of Baba Yaga stories. You need to find her in lots of popular culture because you will find her and you will recognise her now in so mm. much stuff. She's just wonderful. She's, She's wonderful. The outsider. She's the powerful hag. And uh, props hag. to her. Hag Let's goals. all aspire to be Baba Yaga one day. Yes, please. Yeah, good times. Well, thank you. That was really – I had such a great time having this discussion. Like I feel like these are the bones upon which Deviant Women is – this is the soul of Deviant Women, isn't it? These this are the bones upon which we hang our lip skulls. <laughs> yeah. These are these are the conversations. Like this didn't even really feel like we were recording a podcast because I feel like this is actually just felt like the kind of conversations that we used to have when we were both <laughs> in the depths of our PhDs and just doing this stuff every single day. Yeah, that was the thing that led to this podcast. So that was this yeah. was great fun. Thank you for taking us to Baba Yaga. Finally, very happy to do that. And I'll I'll link in the show notes. I'll link some of the really wonderful books studies yes. about Baba Yaga if you want to read more there and there's also in particular there's a really beautiful book that's a uh, by Kate Forsyth and Lorena Carrington called I think that's Vas Vasilisa the Brave Wise Vasilisa the Wise Vasilisa the Wise yeah that's a really beautiful book if you I mean it's not specifically about Baba Yaga but 
There is a, yeah, there is a Baba Yaga story in there. Yeah. And then there's a few other fairy tale sort of retellings mm. as well. And I mean, that's it. That is an example of exactly what we're talking about. That is a book that takes these stories and retells them in a new context for yeah. a new audience. And those retellings are about feminine empowerment, right? Yep. Instead of being about kind learning of learning the domestic <laughs> learning the domestic and being yeah. stuck in that domestic space yeah. not that there's anything wrong with the domestic space if that's where you're happy to be like by the way i just if want you to want that, to be there if that's where you want to be as long as you fun. want to be there is the but point. yeah so th- so she she has been reclaimed and reused in a lot of different ways since those very early documents that were put together with her stories where she was really serving particular purposes but I think, she, yeah, I think she's absolutely wonderful. And I'm so glad that we finally got around to doing Baba Yaga. Yes. She's been there for a long time. Oh, my God, I'm going to struggle to find one illustration to, <laughs> to choose to choose from. We will find out which illustration you've chosen when we release the episode. But Instagram is there. You can fill it up. We'll, I'm sure you'll post lots. We'll fill it up. And, of course, <laughs> in the meantime, you can go back through all of the very many previous episodes we've done mm. in the in the realm of mythology. Yeah. There are many other fairy tales and folklores that we've looked at. So if you want more of this sort of shit, yep. then go and get your fill. Our most recent Patreon episode, you can join us on Patreon for as little as $2 a month. Here we go, giving the, the little plug. But uh, that was about Mary of Egypt, which has a lot of crossovers with this story. It's a story of a... A saint who was a rather, well, rather promiscuous in her time and has a lot of these hag sort of undertones as well if you want to pick up on this thread. Yeah, yeah I, f- I felt like it was good going back to the hag place. Mm. Yeah, it's a good place, <laughs> good place to be. And you can also get yourself some Deviant Women merchandise at our Etsy store if indeed that floats your boat. Or if you can't afford to support us financially, that's totally fine. We understand. But you can leave us a five-star review on iTunes because that really helps us to stay present in the charts, etc. Excellent. And so, as always, we will leave you by saying a very big thank you to India Hui for our theme song, which, you know what, I re-listened to for the first time just recently, paying really good attention to it because sometimes, you know, it just plays just, and you just don't get used to it. Yeah. get used to it. But I, I actually paid attention again and I was like, oh, fuck me, this is a great fucking theme song. <laughs> yeah, so, so yes. So good. And thank you to Brendan Davies for the sound. And to Dan, our executive producer, and we will see you all next time, wherever this journey takes us. Stay safe, stay sane. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.